What kind of day has it been? Motley Fool Money starts now. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio, Motley Fool Senior Analyst Bill Barker. I'm switching it up today, just leading with the disclaimer, get that out of the way earlier. It's a very special episode. <laughs> it is a very special episode, because we're going to talk about the buzz phrase of the day of much of this month, and I would argue what's driving the market today, and that is, of course, debt ceiling. It, it appears as though there is a deal on the table, in principle, for the debt ceiling. They got to get it done by June 5th. At the moment, there is optimism, and what's happening in the market is reflecting that optimism. Uh, sort of. I mean, it's, it's flat uh, at this point. It was up in the morning, early morning, by the end of the day. Could be very different. We're recording this around lunchtime, and yeah, it's it's going to visit a lot of different prices in between now and whenever this gets finalized because it's just too simple a story that the two sides get together, hash out a deal that that satisfies sort of the middle and neither of the ends of the political spectrum, both of which are. Voicing their displeasure with what uh, what they're hearing about this bill or what they're reading about it at this point now that it's uh, published, so uh, yeah, the, if the middle holds, uh, then uh, this all takes care of itself. And in between now and then, I think the ends will get uh, the the political ends that is will get uh, a crack at uh, making headlines about what's wrong with it. Yeah, I think if history is any guide, I was spent a little time this morning looking back through 2011. And the debt ceiling battle that went on for much of that summer. And there were absolutely moments of great optimism and the market spiking. And then there were uh, the opposite, where it's like, oh, a deal is not going to get done, and panic, and there's a market sell off. And now, with the benefit of hindsight, you can look back on that and say, oh, that was the time to buy. That was the time to be a net buyer of stocks. I mean, it's, it's, I think we, we always talk about it's, it's good to always be a net buyer of stocks, but um, it's not going to shock me if at some point later this week, as you said, the, it, the political extremes make headlines, uh, the market sells off in a, a, you know, to the tune of 2% because a deal's not going to get done. Yeah, there can really only be uh, you know, a, a, a big drop down if you're talking about a volatile move. More or less, as you described, priced in now is optimism that, oh, that at least two leaders of, of this negotiation have arrived at a deal and believe that they can get the votes from their parties. So, that's enough uh, to, to sort of price in an, an optimistic scenario. And if a pessimistic scenario or, or sort of the wrong words, the wrong headlines crop up that this could crater, uh, that, that will lead, um, if it's credible, to a, a big drop, even if it's just you know, a number of hours or something. So you raised the point when we were talking earlier this morning that when this deal gets done, 
and just for the sake of this conversation, let's assume that it actually does get done as it has gotten done in the past. When this deal gets done, it's going to create a little bit of a vacuum in terms of the overarching narrative on financial television and in the media when it comes to investing, uh, because we're not going to have the debt ceiling to kick around anymore. No, the heavy rotation uh, words, the word cloud of things that uh, take up so much of the time of, of you know uh, full day coverage of the markets. But we're going to get back to you know Fed meeting rate hike question mark uh, the AI bubble bank crisis is, is sort of receded uh, at least for the moment uh, inflation recession I mean I think those are. You know the the dangers that can be talked about. Of course, recession is now in I think year three of the. When are we going to get that recession that we keep talking about? Uh, early, early in year three. Not. not. I, I think that uh, those are all going to get more airtime once this is finalized. You don't think we've reached the like the peak of the conversation around AI? Because we've talked before no. on this show about how this earnings season, you can go back, I don't know, three or four years, and the word being thrown around by companies involved in blockchain and companies not really involved in blockchain, the word of the earnings season was blockchain. We've seen this movie before. This earnings season that we're sort of coming to the tail end of, it's AI. And I'm not saying, oh, we're not going to hear much more about AI the rest of this year. We are, but I sort of feel like, in terms of just the narrative, we've kind of hit the peak. You don't agree? No, no. I mean, the peak in the narrative is when Cyberdyne takes over. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> no, but in terms of oh, are we in a bubble? That sort of uh, talk, which makes sense. There, there are some stocks that have moved up quite dramatically. Uh, some on actual business accomplishments and and projections of uh, additional accomplishments in the very very near future, and and that have uh, profitability. And this is a reference to Nvidia. Uh, but I think peak peak bubble. Is going to be when companies you haven't heard of that have short operating histories, uh, you know, venture cap backed things are are going uh, public in the midst of enthusiasm for anything that that calls itself AI. So I think that that is to come. I would predict that we are going to see some things rushing to IPO before the end of the year that are not profitable, not very big, but that is part of the story. You get on the ground floor, this could be the you know the next Nvidia, the next Microsoft, fill in the blank with with what you want. The next, hopefully, not the next Cyberdyne. Hopefully not. Nvidia shares hitting another all-time high today. <laughs> Shares of Nvidia year to date are up 180 percent. You're giggling like a shareholder. Uh, I have a small position in Nvidia. It is a larger position than it was in January. But look, I, I, I'm happy that the stock is doing what it's doing. But it's hard for me to look at Nvidia and think like, oh, this this seems rational. One trillion, maybe three trillion by the end of the year. And and there are people that are you know. Coming into the story right now, seeing how well Nvidia is doing and projecting, so it's it's going at I guess if 11 billion is the next quarter's guidance, 
call that a $44 billion run rate for, for sales, throw a 20, 25 multiple on that, and you're getting around a trillion. Uh, that's a that's a big multiple on sales, and uh, now they are all everybody's talking about them. They've, the share price is reflecting what might happen, but boy, there's a lot of success priced into that stock today. There is, but to go back to the point you made earlier, um, as expensive as shares of Nvidia may look right now, probably a better place to invest. Uh, a thousand dollars than the companies you refer to, which you're right; those companies are coming public. The companies that nobody's really heard of, companies that may in fact be touted as the next Nvidia, that sort of thing. Um, a short record in the private markets, and and probably a rush to the public markets. And look, when when you're in the business of trying to take advantage of a hot IPO market. It's hard to blame a company for doing that. Uh, yeah, if they need if that's the money, what your incentive. Is. Like if they, you know, to take the the benign um, view of this company that uh, is just uh, hypothetical right now. And why is this company going public right now? Why? Um, uh, growth. <laughs> they're gonna, they're going to take the money from the IPO. It's going to fuel growth. They want the money. Well, yes. they want the money, and maybe they need the money. This company uh, needs the money, and and so there's a good reason for them to go uh, public and to collect a lot of money, and uh, that's that's kind of what uh, a company has every right to do: uh, present the actual uh, facts about the company to the market. If the market's going to overprice it, take that money and and use it to benefit the the longer term ambitions of the company but uh, definitely Nvidia is a better buy I would say than the theoretical company which we're already positing isn't very good and shouldn't be going public was there anything else related to investing you wanted to talk about because way back in the day of market foolery for the dozens of listeners who remember that it often would be the time when you and I were in the studio and I would alert listeners the investing portion of this episode is about to come to an end and we're going to talk about some tangents and I have you know I have a few comments a list of tangents <laughs> I don't know about a list of they're tangents. not really tangents if you're planning on talking about right. them, are I, they I'm I'm just wondering if there's I had one sort of non-investing thing that that uh, I wanted to get to I have many Oh okay well we <laughs> we're going to limit the time so why don't you go ahead and hit your Well in in the, so do you have any prediction on what is going to join the word cloud of usual suspects for a hot button topic that's going to last, you know, some period of time and and come back again and again and again, and some of the ones that have have come and gone in the last year or two. As I said, bank crisis is kind of in the background right now, although it may get some more air. Uh, you know, Ukraine, Russia, China, COVID, gas prices, SPACs. These are all things that had their moments as. That's the obviously we have to talk about that right now. That's sort of controlling the narrative of of the entire market. All those things I would say are you know in the background right now. Any anything you think might come up? I mean, of that group, uh, gas prices. I'd give that a much better shot than SPACs. I mean, gas prices is a topic that comes around. Every year or so, um, maybe doesn't last very long. But uh, SPAC, look, SPACs had their moment in the sun. I'm not saying the companies won't go public via SPAC in the future; they will. But I think the the on mass 
um, rush that we saw from SPACs a couple of years ago, I, I'd be surprised if we saw that again. Yeah, my my prediction is commercial real estate is going to have a big moment um, where something. Finally, cracks uh, regarding. A, a I was going to say, I'm betting you're not predicting a really awesome moment for commercial real estate. <laughs> no, no. I mean, just as the the bank and you know, it quickly evolved into getting um, crisis uh, in, in the headline there. Whether there was a crisis or like these few specific banks could have developed into a crisis, but uh, I mean, commercial real estate I think is going to have a moment where there's a lot of doubt about just how past investments are going to be paid off and, and debt loads and things like that. I bet our colleague Matt Argusinger would probably agree with you on that. Well, you know, we look around where we work and the ghost town that it now is, and the amount of available commercial real estate within one, two, three, four, five, however many blocks you want to go out, there continues to be plenty of commercial real estate right here. Now, you're living, I don't know, a few more blocks away than that, but that's sort of the area that is doing very well. Places where people live, and there are Stores, coffee shops, people who are working at home, as so many people are, uh, and and the places like Georgetown or Old Town Alexandria uh, are uh, doing very well uh, because of the, there's a density of things to do there in walking distance of a lot of people's houses. I like this niche you're starting to carve out for yourself as sort of a, like a minor league Doctor Doom. You're you're not coming out and predicting a crash of commercial real estate, but you're sort of hinting at it. I am excited to be to be now in the minor leagues rather than just in the amateur level. <laughs> okay, so this gets at something. Um, I've gotten a lot of email from listeners lately, and um, and over the years, and a couple of emails recently with your return to the show um, have echoed emails in the past, and. Uh, only from a few people, but a few people sort of noting our dynamic on mic in the studio. And the emails go a little something like this Boy, Bill really seems angry at Chris. Bill, Bill seems why, why is Bill being hostile towards Chris? And this is this is something you know we wanted to just uh, pull back the curtain on a little bit because this was something this was an apropos of nothing episode we did entitled "Affectionate Hostility," sort of our dynamic, um, but also something that we've done over the years, which is playing to the back of the room, which. Uh, I always associate the phrase playing to the back of the room with the world of stand up comedy. For anyone who's ever been in a comedy club, you got the performer on stage, the audience is is right there, um, sort of surrounding the stage in the club. And then in the back of the room, that's where the other comedians hang out. And sometimes, most of the time, the comic on stage is trying to get laughs from the audience, as he or she should. Because that's their job. But every once in a while, the comic on stage will try and get laughs from the back of the room, from the other comedians. And sometimes it's at the expense of the overwhelming majority of people in the audience. Like, this is a joke they might not get, it might go over their heads. Um, And that's something that we've done every once in a while. Well, we'll just make a reference to something. 
you did it earlier in this episode with Cyberdon. Not everyone necessarily knows Cyberdon, but you know they can Google that. Um, the the other one that comes to mind over the years is your use of the phrase "top men," <laughs> which is a reference to the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and that's a phrase you've used, um, which I find humorous. But we did get a couple email over the years where it's like that that seems sexist. And it's like that's, that's not. That's, I hadn't, you hadn't shared those with me. I, I'm not going to share all the emails with you. No, but. please, please. Uh, yeah, the affection of hostility is something worth remembering. And, and I, you came up with about while you were going through that rather elaborate description of the whole thing, uh, three or four hostile things came to mind, and that that's on me that I would wait. Where the hostility a little heavier than than the affection at times in in terms of going for the laugh, and you were always working the whole room, you know, the front and the back of the room, and and when you're really working the back of the room on something like this, you're really only trying to make the people who are in the room with you <laughs> laugh. And so that's that's a really far back of the room. Yes, um, but uh, no, there there was always there was always some level of affection. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's why it's affectionate hostility. Speaking of which, not straight out hostility. So I've brought you something today. Okay. Yeah, I, I, it's a present. It's coffee, and and it's a pound of Starbucks coffee. Now the expiration date is from um, last year, but. <laughs> It's the office used to have a coffee machine which ground beans, and now it's got a different kind of not exactly a K cup, but it's kind of the K cup thing, and so it's got several pounds of coffee that they're just going to throw away. I've seen them do this, and I know how much it must hurt you to hear about throwing away coffee. So wait a minute, just to be clear, this is expired coffee that you got out of a cabinet. In our office, yes, because the coffee machine that this coffee would have gone in presumably two or three years ago doesn't exist anymore. It could have gone no, like last year or earlier this year, we had that that coffee machine that that would still grind beans. We've got the we've got the new thing right now. It's perfectly drinkable coffee. I've stolen one of those. This and brought is, it home. This is so touching. Thank you. So much. <laughs> I, I I genuinely appreciate this. What'd you get me? I. <laughs> I think I'm going to invite you over. For, I'm the one to my, who's <laughs> to my home for a cup of expired coffee. I'm the one who's stuck here on this podcast. After you go, I don't think you're going to be stuck. I think you're going to be just fine. Well, so uh, so what else have you got? Uh, that was it. I I, I was uh, I have some some comments I'm going to share after I kick you out of the studio. Yeah. But so you're really going, huh? I, <laughs> I brought a clip. Wonderful. Yeah. So. Best, best movie set in your home state of Maine, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. So this is a clip from your favorite movie, and um, to set it up, it's toward the end. But uh, Morgan Freeman's doing the narration, and uh, he's got the same initials: Morgan Freeman, Molly Fool, and uh, I think he captures something. Dan, could you roll that clip? Sometimes it makes me sad, though, and being gone. I have to remind myself that some birds aren't meant to be caged. Their feathers are just too bright. And when they fly away, 
The part of you that knows it was a sin to lock them up does rejoice. But still, the place you live in is that much more drab and empty that they're gone. I guess I just miss my friend. Thank you for that. All the more reason for us to get together for some expired coffee. All right, I'm not going to lie, I didn't know Bill Barker was going to do that. And that was more than a little nice, but completely unexpected. So, I've been thinking about this day for a while now, and I'm not sure I'm going to say anything that is particularly memorable, but I'm not going to let that stop me from sharing a few thoughts on investing and this show and you. And I'll get to the investing in a minute, but I've thanked a lot of people privately. There are three people I want to thank publicly, and the first two are David and Tom Gardner, the co founders of The Motley Fool. In July, the Motley Fool is going to celebrate its 30th anniversary. And I've been here for 26 of those years, and I could talk at great length about the history of this company. But for today, I'm just going to say this the investing world of 2023 is so much better for people like you and me than the investing world of 1993. There is so much more transparency. Fees are so much lower for individual investors. The playing field in 1993 was skewed so heavily towards Wall Street and the institutions on Wall Street, and it is so much more level now. And that is due in no small part to the Gardner brothers and the company they founded. The Motley Fool has been a champion for individual investors since it started. And just one example of that was the passage of Regulation Fair Disclosure in 2001, a rule that proposed the, at the time, radical idea that individuals like you and me should have access to the same information on public companies at the same time as Wall Street firms. Now, that's been a given for the past 20 years. Of course, investors should get the same information at the same time. But in 2001, this was actually a very heated debate. This was a close vote. And under the leadership of Tom and David Gardner, The Motley Fool took a very public stance and rallied individuals to share their opinions. Arthur Levitt, who was chairman of the SEC at the time, publicly gave The Motley Fool credit for the passage of Reg FD. He said they'd never gotten so many comments from individuals. And that's just one example of how we are better off today than we were 30 years ago. And I thank the Gardners as an individual investor, and I thank them as someone who has worked here for so long and had the opportunity to help create a show like this in 2009 and host it for all these years. The third person that I want to publicly thank is you. Because, as I said earlier in the show, I've been hearing over the past couple of weeks from so many investors from across the country and around the world. I said this to someone the other day, I think that all of us, to some degree, are shaped by where we grew up. For some of us, it has a huge bearing on who we become as adults, other people maybe less so. But I think we're all shaped by that experience to some degree. I grew up in Maine, which is not a big state, in a town of 17,000 people, which 
is actually on the larger side for a state like Maine, but that's not a particularly big town. And that helped shape who I am today. And one of the ways is from early 2009, when we started doing this show, right through to earlier this morning, I've just been blown away by the email that you all send. In part because so many of you include where you're listening. And part of the guy that grew up in Maine thinks, holy cow, people are listening in New York City, LA, San Francisco, Seattle. And not just big cities, it's small towns and states across America and countries around the world. Like, holy, people are listening in Dubai, in the Czech Republic, Singapore, Australia, Ireland, Denmark, and 150 other countries. It's, it's really incredible to me. And I think it says so much more about you than it says about me. And that's because investing, the way that we invest, it's largely a solitary endeavor. And as much as things have improved for us as investors over the past 30 years, there's still kind of this pervasive narrative in the financial world that investing in the stock market should not be done by individuals like you and me. Don't do this on your own. So, the fact that you've taken it upon yourself to invest on your own, to find a show like this, and spend part of your waking hours listening to try and gain more knowledge and experience and exposure to ideas and investing strategies and the stocks that you want to learn more about, that you have this kind of mentality, there is no doubt in my mind that you are going to succeed as an investor. Everyone is different. Everyone has different life situations, different investing priorities. But the through line to all these emails and messages is people sharing their experience with this show as a part of their investing journey. And the best part about that, for me, is the fact that you are on an investing journey in the first place. Because not everybody is. We all know people who don't want to do this, or maybe they tried it once and gave up because they didn't have the patience, or they had a bad experience and realized they didn't have the stomach for it. And it's not for everyone. That's okay. As I have said before, this is the business that we have chosen. We are on the path. So, you know, let's stay on the path. Some people have asked what I'm doing next, and the short answer is, I don't know. The longer answer is, I really don't know. But I'm going to take a little time to clear my head because batteries are no good unless they're charged. And then I'm going to see if I can find another adventure somewhere in the world of audio. And if I do, and you happen to encounter it, I hope you'll be as patient with whatever that next chapter is as you've been with me on this one. Until then, I do know this, I am going to keep investing, and I hope you're going to do the same. Keep investing in your portfolio. Keep investing in yourself. Invest in your family, your friendships, your community. Never stop investing. Never stop investing. I'm going to close with the lyrics of a song by the brilliant and talented Kevin Gilbert, who, like too many people, um, left this earth too quickly. 
People sometimes ask me for the secret of success. I tell them what I know. Believe in what you're doing, remember who you are, and who knows where you'll go. I'm Chris Hill from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for listening.